Welcome back to the Thermodiet Podcast. I'm your host, Jayton Miller, and today I have on the podcast, Lauren De La Cruz. So Lauren is filled with information, and today she takes us through all the details on iron, zinc, copper, vitamin A, and how they play a role with each other. So I'm really looking forward to being able to let y'all listen to this episode. So let's get into it. How's it going today, guys? I am here with Lauren De La Cruz from Innate. It's Innate Functional Nutrition, correct? Oh, that's my Instagram handle, but um, my business is Innate Nutrition. <laughs> okay, awesome. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jayton. Yes, ma'am. Super excited to be here. Definitely. Um, so for the listeners out there, could you kind of tell them you know, your background story and how, to, how you got to where you are? Of course, yes. So I guess my path to health is what you're looking or my path to nutrition is what you're looking for, right? Um, so yes, I first started my foray into nutrition was actually after my experience with the birth control pill. Um, I had been on the birth control pill for about eight years, and I actually started the birth control pill. And you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, uh, from getting cystic acne because I got such terrible cystic acne after being vegan. So I knew there was definitely, now I know that there was a lot of mineral deficiencies and, you know, nutrient deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies that kind of spurred that, uh, hormonal imbalance. Um, but I, you know, I was on the birth control pill for about eight years and it stopped working. I, I also had terrible health while I was on it. So I knew that there was, you know, something wrong. It wasn't working <laughs> for me. There was definitely some downsides to it. And the more I started researching, the more I realized I didn't know much about, about it at all. And I started getting really informed. And when I came off the birth control pill, I had terrible symptoms as well. While I was on the birth control pill, I had candida. I developed an autoimmune skin condition. I was pre-diabetic. I had all of these health issues. And no doctor ever sort of connected the dots. Uh, so when I came off of it, I also had a, you know, a slew of issues. I started losing my hair. The cystic acne came back 10 times worse. And I, no doctor that I had under my, uh, whose care I was under. So my dermatologist, primary care physician, and uh, my gynecologist as well. No, they couldn't offer me any other solution other than to get back on the pill or to get on a different one such as spironolactone. So I started taking things into my own hands, doing even more research and really experimenting with nutrition and lifestyle. And I ended up healing myself through, you know, some smart changes with lifestyle, some really smart changes with nutrition. I also ended up healing my lifelong asthma, which was kind of a icing on the cake <laughs> when it came to my healing process. And after that, I knew that there had to be a better way than, you know, the ways that we were approaching these issues like pre-diabetes, like post-birth control syndrome, like cystic acne, like asthma. And I really wanted to get in, sort of dig in even more and get some schooling and really help people uh, look for an alternative approach to their ailments. Definitely. That's awesome. Um, so one area that you talk really well on is iron. Um, so can you kind of go into like what iron's role is and why we usually have too much of it? Yeah, of course. So 
Iron's role, it, it performs a, a couple of functions in the body. You know, it's, it's mostly known for its involvement, and I should say that's a key word, <laughs> involved in the transfer of oxygen from the lungs to the tissues and the creation of red blood cells. So that's kind of where it gets its fame, you know, energy production as well. Um, but it's involved in, in that, those functions, not necessarily responsible for, <laughs> uh, is what I want to clarify. Um, so we get, we get iron from our food. And usually, you know, there's heme iron, there's non-heme iron. So heme iron is going to be animal-based uh, iron. And then there's plant iron, which is non-heme iron. And the heme iron is more readily absorbed and is more stable in the body versus non-heme iron. We absorb maybe 30%, and but it's you know more volatile, I should say. Um, so essentially, we we get a lot of iron already in our food system. You know, we we get it through animal foods, we get it through plant foods, but our food system has actually been fortified since the 1940s with uh, iron shavings, so supplemental iron. And this was very misguided. <laughs> uh, I don't really, you know, it's hard to pinpoint the exact reason why we started fortifying the food system. But now you also have enriched flours and iron being added to, you know, a lot of other things in our food system, not just the natural sources that we get that we usually eat day to day. So we're getting a lot. And the, I think the percentage is something like it's increased almost 400% since the 1940s, the iron content in our food system. So it's really prevalent in our food system. We get plenty, plenty, plenty <laughs> every day. Um, so we're getting lots of it and it's, it's actually creating a lot of problems. Uh, one being we have this very sophisticated iron recycling system that most you know, researchers tend to overlook. It's called the reticulum reticuloendothelial system, the RES, I'm just going to call it the iron recycling system. And it involves, it involves, you know, the small intestine, the spleen, the bone marrow, the liver, uh, a bunch of other organs. And it's a sophisticated system that helps recycle 24 milligrams of iron every day all by itself. So when red blood cells go to die, we actually reuse the iron that was in those red blood cells. We don't necessarily need extra. So we have a really sophisticated iron recycling system. So those dietary recommendations are actually quite inaccurate because taken into account 24 milligrams, we only need one milligram perhaps per day. And I should mention also that our recycling system, you know, I say 24 minimum. So there's other people that say that it's, you know, upwards of 30 milligrams per day that we can recycle all by ourselves. So we have, you know, a reticuloendothelial iron recycling system, really sophisticated, helping us recycle all of our red blood cells, all of the iron in our body, but we're also adding more of it. And that's kind of where we're getting really in a sticky situation. And so when we talk about copper too, and our food systems impact on copper, our the supplements that we're taking, the daily practices that we have every day, that plays a huge role into why iron has gotten so out of control. Um, but I'll let you, <laughs> I'll let you continue asking questions because we'll definitely come back to that. All right, sounds good. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and so 
by having this excess iron, that's why we start to get deposits in the different tissues uh, around mm -hmm. the body, correct? That's absolutely correct. So when we have excess iron, you know, I mentioned copper and it's, this is kind of really important to understand why copper is what helps manage iron. So in the world of minerals and vitamins, there's virtually none that work alone. There's always a partner or multiple partners. And for iron, that partner is copper. So copper is what actually helps manage it, it the mineral itself, iron itself. So wherever there's iron, there's always copper because if you just have iron alone and it interacts with oxygen, which is very likely in our bodies, <laughs> it's going to create rust. And you know, you have cast iron pans probably, or one cast iron pan, or you've seen one, and you maybe you've seen a, a not so well taken care <laughs> care of one, and it starts creating rust. You know, just by being exposed to air. That's why we have to cure it. So copper is kind of what helps cure iron and helps it interact with oxygen safely in the body. So when it's carrying oxygen to go make energy or to go make new red blood cells, copper is always there to help really protect the iron and protect the oxygen from creating rust. So it's kind of like a buffer. So what happens when we don't have enough copper or what happens when we have too much iron, the ratio is just completely imbalanced. The body knows that iron is complete, very toxic in the body. It's very reactive. It's going to create a lot of free radicals, rust, reactive oxygen species. And so the body will take it out of the bloodstream and sequester it into the tissues. And this could be the liver, this could be the muscle tissue, this could be other organs. So it sequesters it into organs. And, you know, it's kind of a protective mechanism, although, you know, that in itself is not ideal either <laughs> because uh, sequestering iron can create things like autoimmune disease and arthritis and just, you know, a bunch the, of other issues. <laughs> the biggest one that I see is pituitary issues. The iron deposition in the pituitary is a big one. That is a very real thing. Yep. Yep. And that can create a lot of problems. So basically any disease really can be traced back to iron. That said, uh, is a very good point. It's, it's just so reactive and is such a trigger for the immune system inflammation. So um, the body knows how reactive iron is. So it'll take it out of the bloodstream, sequester it. And that's why people, you know, when, when they have too much iron, it actually, it's called anemia. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the body has taken the iron out of the bloodstream, but we only test for serum ferritin when we test for um, iron levels, which is also a very inaccurate way to test for iron. So we don't get a true reading of what's actually happening. We could have, you know, no iron in the blood or very little, but tons of it in the tissues up to 10 times more. So it's really backwards in the way that we test for iron because, and the way we treat anemia, which is usually more iron, which causes the body to sequester it even more. That's why iron therapy doesn't really work because or creates worse problems. It'll work for a temporary time frame in terms of getting the uh, serum ferritin up or hemoglobin up. But then you, you see people, that's why they have to get iron infusions multiple times. That's why they said, oh yeah, I started taking iron pills. They worked for a little while, but then my anemia came back. It's because iron therapy, the body is trying to protect itself from the ex excess iron that you know, you're giving it with the iron therapy. And so it's very well- it just, ramps, <laughs> it just ramps up the storage of the iron. So by supplementing with iron, it's just making the body speed up the storage of it? Yeah. 
Okay. So, you know, we, we're not solving the, the problem by taking more iron. And the, the problem is usually 99% of the time, copper deficiency or retinol deficiency. So that's a vitamin A. So either one can really create uh, uh, sequestration of iron because we need copper to manage iron. We need copper to help create um, new red blood cells with the iron. We need copper for so many other things in the body. And so the reason I say retinol, vitamin A, that's actually what activates quote unquote copper. <laughs> so copper itself, you know, it's a great mineral, but copper needs to be in the form called ceruloplasmin, which is a very, um, an easy way to think about this is saying it's activated copper and retinol. So vitamin A, real vitamin A, not from plants, not beta carotene from animal fats, from things like beef tallow and uh, butter and high quality dairy and liver, that's what loads copper into the ceruloplasmin enzyme. And ceruloplasmin is really what's carrying out all of these functions and allowing iron to uh, interact with oxygen very safely. So totally, <laughs> it's it could be either of those things. I, I should also mention too that um, infection can also cause anemia. So, you know, if you have and we have to also, when we think about infection, we have to think about the, the strength of the host because, you know, it's not just the infection that's causing the iron sequestration. It's, it's the strength of the host. You know, how's their stomach acid? Are they really resilient to infection? And copper is needed for the immune system as well. Um, it's very well documented there. But um, if you have an infection like a parasite or a virus or bacteria, that's what feeds on iron. It's like their favorite food. So the body also will uh, take iron from the blood and store it in the tissue so that these infections, these pathogens cannot consume and proliferate off of the iron that's in the blood. So that could be another kind of like alternative reason. But that said, there's always a reason for the, the weakness of the host and why it got to that place in the first place. Wow. That's really interesting. So how does zinc play a role in this? So like, isn't there a ratio between copper and zinc that we need to take into consideration? Yeah, there definitely is. And, you know, they say, they share the same receptor sites. So <laughs> I, this is why the kind of ratio is important because if the ratio, if the receptor sites are all kind of like, I think, I think of it as a parking lot. If the parking lot's all full with copper cars or if the parking lot's all full with zinc cars, then we're not going to be able to absorb the other mineral. So it's important in, in a sense because then we're not, we're creating an imbalance in, in a sense. Um, so I don't over index on the ratio too much in my practice, uh, but it is important because it tells us uh, kind of a little bit about hormones. It, with hair tissue mineral analysis, which is one of the lab tests that I offer with to my clients, um, the copper ratio is more correlated with like an estrogen effect, whereas the zinc ratio is correlated with a more progesterone, which is an anabolic hormone, and testosterone, which is also an anabolic hormone effect. So if there's too much copper or too much zinc, we're going to have a bit of an imbalance. And usually if copper is too high, it's not that there's too much, it's not a bad thing per se. It just means that it's probably unbound from ceruloplasmin, which is that copper protein that allows it to work safely in the body. 
Um, so we have to think about why that might be. Uh, and it's probably due to, again, a retinol deficiency. So we need that retinol to load copper into that protein. And we don't necessarily need to do anything to get rid of the copper. We just need to allow it, give it the tools to function properly in the body and get loaded into that protein properly to reestablish balance. So yes, the, uh, the ratio is important, but um, you know, I also don't, uh, like I mentioned, I don't uh, condone uh, trying to <laughs> trying to shift it too much by supplementing copper or zinc either. And the reason being, again, they, they compete for receptor sites. So it can create, can kind of, kind of push you into another extreme. Uh, but also if you do supplement zinc, uh, it triggers a synthesis of this protein called metallothionine and metallothionine binds up zinc and copper, but it binds up copper at 1000 times strength um, compared to zinc. So it creates an even more sort of strong and balance um, and it can have pretty bad ramifications down the line. I've seen a lot of zinc supplementers <laughs> pretty, pretty imbalanced in their ability to recycle iron because of the, their zinc supplementation. Um, so it kind of all has a trickle down effect. Again, uh, minerals and vitamins don't operate in isolation. There's always some, you know, <laughs> some uh, consequence if you do supplement one thing or another. Mm -hmm. So, um, a lot of athletes are told that they need to supplement zinc because they run through it faster during, you know, during times of extreme exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, what's kind of your recommendation for that? Oh, that's interesting. I would argue that they run through copper probably just as quickly or not, or more because copper is so critical for creating energy. You can't create energy without copper. And so zinc is not present in that, uh, sort of chain uh, from my understanding. Uh, so, you know, to support an immense amount of exercise, you obviously need energy. And of course we burn through tons of other minerals like magnesium, potassium, sodium, sure, zinc. Uh, I bet we're burning through a bunch of vitamin C, a bunch of B vitamins as well. So to say that, or to sort of like look at um, exercise as, you know, a depletion of zinc is kind of just one or tunnel visioned, I guess. Um, there's a lot more going on. And again, my, minerals and vitamins act synergistically. So to be supplementing one is kind of, you know, shortchanging the immense impact and importance of magnesium, potassium, sodium, which are arguably even more important for athletic performance. Mm. Wow. So um, do you, do you notice that whenever people are in an anemic state, it's, it's just a copper deficiency or vitamin A deficiency? It depends. And that's why I don't like to use serum ferritin as a marker for um, iron status. It's because serum ferritin is actually a sign of pathophysiology. So ferritin should be um, in, inside of the protein, not outside. And so when we're measuring serum ferritin, it's kind of, it should it's something's wrong. <laughs> and that kind of got started in the eighties when a Spanish doctor discovered this uh, marker and everyone kind of hopped on it because it was a new bright, shiny thing. Uh, but we actually used to measure um, iron status via hemoglobin before that. And that's a much more accurate marker. Um, so I personally like to use the full Monty iron panel, which has a bunch of iron markers. It includes, um, ceruloplasmin, which is the really important copper protein that I just mentioned. Uh, copper 
it does include ferritin, so you would get that as well. It includes hemoglobin, iron, total iron binding capacity, uh, magnesium, red blood cell count, transferrin. You get vitamin A, you get vitamin D, and you get zinc. So you get this really big picture of kind of like all the factors that could be sort of levers in iron status. And so uh, it, it really depends <laughs> to answer your question because there are people that have plenty of copper but not enough ceruloplasmin. So in that case, we would need to work on getting them a little more retinol, figuring out why you know they have too much copper in the first place. So it's more of like a ratio thing. Um, or if maybe they might have enough ceruloplasmin, but just a ton of iron and a ton of iron saturation. And so maybe we need to look at zinc or the other supplements that they're taking or what they're eating to really figure out, okay, why do you have so much iron uh, in the body? Or is it just that you need time to <laughs> uh, rebalance? Because once you have enough ceruloplasmin, that's when all the magic really starts to happen. Definitely. So if someone does have um, iron overload, what are some of the ways that they can get rid of it? That's a great question. So, you know, figuring out if you have iron overload, um, um, it's kind of tough, but <laughs> you can pretty much assume that almost everyone in the United States, at least, it has iron overload just due to the fact that we've been so bombarded with iron uh, throughout our entire lives since the 1940s. But there's also this other aspect of other sort of um, compounds or supplements or things that can also negatively impact copper and ceruloplasmin status, which also impact our ability to manage iron. And so we end up iron overloaded. These are things like uh, vitamin D supplements, ascorbic acid, zinc supplements, which we talked about already, um, refined foods, um, because they're usually fortified foods and can contribute to another more extra imbalance, uh, zeolite supplements. Um, so there's a couple of, you know, uh, multivitamins, prenatals. <laughs> there's, there's a long list of things that can impact the status of ceruloplasmin and that in itself can impact our ability to recycle iron properly. So, um, we have to first stop taking those things and that can, you know, be, it, it makes a huge impact <laughs> and that can be honestly sometimes enough. Um, but if you start to look at your food ingredient labels and see, okay, ascorbic acid is acid added to this. Okay. My milk has synthetic vitamin D added to it. Am I taking vitamin D? Am I taking zinc? You know, things like that start to really look at the labels that you're of the things that you're taking, the things that you're eating and stop kind of removing those um, uh, negative <laughs> sort of compounds. And then the next stage I would say or phase would be to get nutrients that support the production of ceruloplasmin. So make sure you're getting enough copper in your diet, make sure you're getting enough retinol in your diet. So low fat diets or diets that are you know mostly unsaturated fats, that's not going to help with ceruloplasmin production. So we need to be getting a lot of animal fats through beef liver, through high quality dairy, through butter, ghee, beef tallow. Um, so those really, really yummy uh, foods and fats and you know, not skimping on the uh, uh, fat when you do have a nice fatty piece of meat, just eating it. <laughs> and then um, getting enough copper rich foods as well. So 
Copper-rich foods include beef liver, which, you know, usually copper-rich foods are also iron-rich foods. That's the way nature put, you know, intended. They put, it puts um, the, the sort of cofactors all in one food. It's kind of why Mother Nature's so beautiful and whole foods are so beautiful. So beef liver, oysters, huge amount of copper, um, vitamin C rich foods. So that actually has copper inside of it because it has an enzyme called tyrosinase, which contains copper inside of it. And I think, you know, this is why copper is so important for uh, collagen formation and, um, you know, structural uh, formation as well, structural uh, fortification and myelin sheath creation too, is because it operates in an enzyme called lysyl oxidase. So making sure you're getting enough vitamin C rich foods. Uh, I definitely love shellfish as well. So like lobster, crab, shrimp, if you can, um, if you have access to it or can afford it. Um, these things don't have to be super fresh either. They can be canned. So if you want oysters, don't worry, you can have canned oysters or you can even take desiccated oyster and that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so getting a lot of retinol rich foods, getting a lot of um, copper rich foods. And yeah, that's kind of the next step I would say in terms of being able to manage your iron better. That's awesome. So do you take any steps towards chelating iron? Sometimes it depends on the person. Um, you know, blood donations, for example, are really non-invasive. Well, I shouldn't say non-invasive, but really gentle, <laughs> gentle way to chelate iron. So we lose, you know, we lose quite a bit of iron um, during a blood donation, and that kind of reignites the iron recycling system that we have in our bodies. So all those organs, the bone marrow to create more red blood cells. And so it needs to release the iron that's stored in our tissues in order to do that. It kind of coaxes it out because it's like, hey, we need more. Okay, it's okay to release it. Um, It's not gonna get eaten by an infection or a bacteria. (laughs) So um, that's a really great way to restart or I should say like uh, supercharge your iron recycling system. Uh, If you're a female, making sure you're cycling. So your monthly cycle, your monthly period is a great way to detoxify iron as well. So I would fight for that cycle if, if you're not someone that's cycling or if you know you have gone through menopause, um, scheduling uh, quarterly blood donations, just like I recommend for males. Quarterly blood donations are a great way to uh, really gently get rid of iron, excess iron in the body. Uh, there are, of course, other therapies, you know, there's apolactoferrin, there's IP6, there's curcumin, uh, but those therapies I would use probably in a one case-by-case basis, depending on how they're tracking, how my client's tracking towards um, creating ceruloplasmin and their iron saturation and all that stuff. Do you ever do like um, salicylic acid or making sure to drink coffee after meals, stuff like that? Oh yeah. That's a really, really great and easy way to do that. Uh, chelate iron as well. So uh, coffee has really amazing properties. I think it's the caffeic acid in the um, coffee beans, plus any, you know, some kind of polyphenols. Um, It's not just the caffeine, it's the polyphenols as well that really help (laughs) block iron from being absorbed in the digestive system. Uh, Castor oil actually also has really amazing iron chelating properties due to quercetin. So that's another iron chelator that's actually pretty gentle to take as well. 
Um, and it's, you know, iron chelation is also, <laughs> there's a study by Caracone that um, you can probably find online. I can, I can share that with you after the show, but iron chelation therapy is actually a really great uh, way to combat this virus that's going around. So wow. <laughs> yeah, it's super effective. So, um, you know, that's what, uh, also that's what hydroxychloroquine is too, which is like the, um, controversial, but also <laughs> star, uh, that's being touted as like a, a helpful a protectant. So, yeah. That's awesome. Do you ever use activated charcoal? Uh, not too much. I, I, I don't use it as much unless I'm experiencing, um, some kind of digestive distress or anything like that, which is not very often, but I do like it. I just, I prefer to use other therapies um, just because it has to be taken in a very specific way <laughs> and it can bind to not just iron, but other minerals when going through. So uh, that's especially if you eat it in your food, but if not, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Uh, but I do, I do really like that, especially for mold and people who have experienced mold illness as well, uh, which that can also really tank someone's copper and ceruloplasmin as well and lead to iron overload. So Definitely. So what are some of the signs that someone can look for if they have either an excess of iron? And then what are some of the signs that they can look for if they are deficient in vitamin A or copper? Those are really good questions. So signs of excess iron, we'll start with that. I might forget the other one, so you might have to remind me. <laughs> um, signs of excess iron. So really, uh, it could be anything, honestly, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uh, just a, overall, it's just like a low metabolism because metabolic function, that's what copper helps support is you need copper if you want proper metabolic function. And when we don't have copper or ceruloplasmin, our metabolic function will start to deteriorate. And what metabolic function, deteriorating metabolic function looks like can look like anything, it can look like imbalanced hormones, it can look like chronic illness. It can look like, again, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, hypothyroidism, uh, cold hands and feet, uh, not sleeping through the night, insomnia, just any, honestly, any symptom you can pretty much connect with uh, iron overload or, you know, and that's a result of a lower metabolism because if you don't have enough copper to run it, iron's going to build. So that's kind of, I know that's probably not as clear cut as your listeners might want, uh, but it always helps to, you know, if, if you're, if you're looking to optimize your metabolism and you don't feel like you're there, uh, you probably have a little bit of excess iron that needs to um, be taken care of. And another, I guess another clear cut sign would be, uh, you know, hormone levels. So Estrogen, for example, increases the ability to absorb iron by three times. And in pregnant women, it's nine times. So wow. it's kind of funny how like women are the ones that are more anemic than men. <laughs> and uh, pregnant women are also deal with this, you know, um, kind of anemia of the third trimester. <laughs> so it, it, these, these dots should be connecting for you um, and your listeners. And so if we have excess estrogen and, you know, men can have that too. If you're, you know, a little overweight or if you have excess fat on your body, um, our fat cells can create estrogen too. Uh, 
So we are probably more estrogen dominant in that sense. So any kind of estrogen dominance or hormonal imbalance, you know, low T can also be a thing too. Uh, we probably are iron toxic in a way, and depending on the severity that they're really not known until you get a test. But um, that's another kind of way to think about iron overload is the hormonal aspect. So um, you asked about vitamin A and copper. copper. So how do we tell if we have a deficiency in those? Are they the same signs? They can be very similar. There's some overlap there for sure, like skin issues, uh, are very clear cut vitamin A deficiencies, bone growth and development issues. So if you have uh, constant breakages or you know spurs, you, you might be vitamin A deficient. Uh, vitamin A is actually quite much more important for bone health than vitamin D much more <laughs> because vitamin A activates vitamin D, <laughs> little secret. So, um, you know, a lot of people that have bone issues, uh, skin issues, immune system issues as well. Again, vitamin A act activates vitamin D. So if your immune system is not functioning properly, you're low in vitamin D, um, you know, there's a whole another tangent I can go off because this testing is also very backwards for that. But <laughs> um, you need vitamin A for all that, all those functions and copper as well. Copper is really important for thyroid function. So you need copper to convert T4 into T3, the more active and potent thyroid hormone. You need copper for cholesterol recycling. You need copper for immune function. Because copper is so critical to energy production and vitamin A is as well in, in the way that it activates copper, any of deficiency in these will be you know, kind of shown in a lack of energy production and a lack of energy production is the beginning of disease. So, you know, kind of getting, if there's any sort of issue with <laughs> that you're struggling with, it's probably due to an, a lack of energy, which means you probably need more copper and, and vitamin A. Definitely. I would say, um, low protective hormones in most cases too. Uh, oh yeah. Because I think like pregnenolone is derived from cholesterol, vitamin A and T3. That's correct. Mm -hmm. um, so in order for steroidogenesis to take place, you have to have vitamin A present. So uh, low protective hormones in general, I'd also add in there. And then yeah, absolutely. Um, I had another, oh, so does copper work with selenium for the deiodinase enzyme? Yes, it does. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So do they form together to make the deiodinase enzyme? Uh, that I cannot recall. But okay. I do know that it's a, copper plays a really big role in that. So okay. I'd have to look up my notes, but I can follow up with you. <laughs> okay, definitely. I'm interested in that. I'll put it in the show notes for anybody who is curious about um, whether or not copper and selenium attach to each other to form that enzyme. But that is really the extent of the questions that I had prepared. Is there anything else that you would kind of like to tell the audience or let them know? Oh, yeah. I mean... If you're interested in learning more about iron and iron toxicity, I'm definitely well-versed in it because I went through a program called the Root Cause Protocol. So my mentor and teacher is named Morley Robbins, and he's basically the man, the, he's the magnesium man, but he's basically the iron man at this point. Um, <laughs> and so uh, all of you know my research, uh, I've done additional research, but a lot of it's based on um, the research that he's done and, you know, 
kind of led the charge on. Uh, so go check out the root cause protocol. There's a free uh, protocol that you can do to start building up your ceruloplasmin levels. So check that out. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I primarily work with women, <laughs> but I, I love minerals. I have a huge um, interest and uh, passion for minerals. And so this is why I find myself here with Jayton right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, feel free to check out my page. I have a lot more information on ascorbic acid, vitamin D, zinc supplementation. So if those piqued your interest, definitely check it out. And that is innatenutrition.com? Yeah, innate-nutrition.com or innate functional nutrition. And that's at innate functional nutrition on Instagram. Yeah. Check that out. I follow her on Instagram. I love your Instagram page. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> um, you do a really good job. So keep it up. I respect that. Um, I appreciate that. But yeah, um, thanks for listening and make sure to give Lauren a follow and check out her website. Uh, I was looking on it earlier and it actually has a pretty good website. So um, <laughs> Thank make you. sure to check it out. Thanks so much, Jayden. Yes, ma'am. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and leave a comment down below if you want us to cover a different topic.